You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Yeah, reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I think one of the most heartbreaking stories that I can remember uh, was of a, a young gentleman I knew in Adelaide. Uh, he had attended the church I grew up in for a small amount of time, uh, but after he left, I didn't hear about him for years and years until uh, the tragic news went around that he had passed away in a car accident. Uh, and the incident spread across the quite small uh, but the Adelaide Vietnamese community uh, very quickly. Uh, everybody knew about it. Uh, because what made it additionally saddening was that he was the son of a, a single immigrant mother. Uh, again, this family, just the two of them, they were quite known in the Vietnamese community. And any time the incident was mentioned in conversation, you could see how people just felt so deeply sorry for her. People would often say things like, she's truly lost everything. Uh, people would say things like, she must be so alone. Um, and people would say, I don't know how she could go on. Uh, it's, it's a deeply saddening story, uh, the kind that sticks with you. It's, it's stuck with me. Um, but one that I'm, I'm simply recalling as an observer, yet for the people directly involved, for the mother herself, it was certainly one of the greatest agonies possible in this life. And it was this same untimely pain that gives us the context of today's encounter with Jesus. See, in such a short collection of verses, it'd be easy for readers to skim over such an encounter, reading the words in a way that might not fully grasp the, the emotional weight of such a meeting with Jesus. But that's why I really love this series that we're in, because we get to spotlight these somewhat short and, to be honest, less memorable encounters between people and Jesus. And in them, we get to see how even the shortest of encounters with Jesus would still paint for us a vivid picture of the state of humanity and the need for a saviour. So today, uh, I think in today's passage, what we see in full view of this encounter are three things, uh, the poignancy of life, the compassion of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. 
And I think as we gradually dig into this encounter, what we'll see is how a short little account actually paints for us a large picture of the character of God and his relationship to us. Uh, But before that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, in these even short encounters, we see so much of the picture of who your son Jesus is and who you are, Lord. Lord, may you open up all our hearts today to hear your word. Take away any words that are of my own and let it be yours that remains. Uh, Heavenly Father, may your spirit challenge us, convict us and encourage us through your word. And we thank you that you've graciously given us your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to read from verse 11 again. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who has died has been carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So entering the town of Nain, Jesus, his band of disciples and a following crowd encounter a funeral procession at the gates. And what stands out was that there was also another crowd, one from the town, who were all there for the funeral of this young man. That there was a crowd there helps us see the impact of this funeral. There was public grief and sorrow. Uh, In those days, there were professional mourners who would in large groups be with their cymbals and flutes, be wailing and crying loudly with grief. And there was good reason for this. Because although just a short mention in our passage, it tells us enough to point us to the weight of such a funeral. It was the death of an only son of a widowed mother, a short and somber sentence that could instill an ageless sorrow. Here was a woman who had lost everything. No wonder the cries of the funeral procession was likely deafening in the mourning of this only child. But there was an even deeper pain, not just the public sorrow, but a private one, only felt by the widow who had just lost her beloved only son. See, while the pain of her losing her son was hard enough, her life post this, her life after the funeral, would be especially grim. Because in those days, as a widow, with the passing of her only son, she would be relegated to a a feeble and pitiful status. She would be helpless, vulnerable, alone, nothing left, no means to support herself deprived of her access to the larger community. Social status takes a huge hit within her village. Her family line ended. These are all things to deeply grieve about. She was now truly alone in the world. The grief was immense as she knew that the next day she would wake up by herself without the company of her beloved son and every aspect of her life would be extremely tough going forward. And there's a real emotional heaviness when picturing this encounter. Jesus has just encountered a woman at her her lowest, most catastrophic moment in her entire life. Death had taken everything from this dear widow. So it's a really, really heavy moment, one that we wish wouldn't happen to anyone. But the sad reality is what this widow went through isn't all too uncommon. People have and continue to lose loved ones that mean everything to them. Many of us here have experienced the loss of a dear loved one at some point in our lives. It's been deeply saddening, devastating to know that a handful of our brothers and sisters here at Melbourne West have experienced this just recently over the past year. And while not everybody will go through the exact situation as the widow of Jesus' time, it still pains just as much when anybody loses somebody close to them. 
See, see, death is never an easy topic to talk about. It's, it's not something people casually bring about in general chit-chat. If anything, it's only ever really brought about in, in really somber, sensitive moments. And I think there's a reason for that because I think all throughout history and still the same today for humanity, for humans, death is held as a terrible thing. It's rarely talked about in a positive way because for most people, how can it be? Death means losing something, losing someone, a loved one who we cherish so dearly. Death puts an end to relationships, hopes, futures, security, joy. We look all around us, just turn on the news and we'll see a world around us that is full of sorrow from death, pain, poverty, sickness. Death abounds from one end of the globe to the other. And yet there's a sobering reality to it all that in these these moments of great sorrow and grief, humanity knows deep down that death is a part of life. See, in this encounter between Jesus and this widow, what immediately stands out is the poignancy of life, that with death and unchangeable reality, life is indeed fragile and fleeting. There's an unspoken sadness that hangs over our, our humanity's head, knowing that death waits and brings an end to life and all that we love. And it's been like that for pretty much our whole existence. Just reading through history and we'll see the impact that death has on the world. 18th century writer and poet Khalil Gibran says, When you have solved all the mysteries of life, you long for death, for it is but another mystery of life. See, but while while to many the despair of death may seem both a reality and mystery, we can actually trace back to its origin. See, God's word tells us of the first time death was mentioned and how it came to be. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 says, As God speaks to the first man, Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The first man and woman would go on and disobey God's command, eating from the tree, where in Genesis 3 we read God telling them that they that dust they are and to dust they, re- they shall return. The origins of death can be found in Genesis. Ever since the fall in the garden, death has reared its ugly head and made its wicked presence known throughout history. See, theologian J.C. Ryle says of death, sin is the foundation and root to which everything can be traced back. I think why death usually stirs up undesired feelings for people, why death doesn't really sit right with most, is because deep down we know death wasn't meant to be that death is an unwelcome guest to what we call life. And just as clearly as we see here in our passage, in death there comes so much grief, sorrow and despair. And we can trace it back to a brokenness of the world that has been affected by sin. But thankfully this unwelcome guest isn't here to stay, which brings us back to our passage in verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. See, I think in our English translation, it actually doesn't do the verse justice here. It can easily be read as Jesus feeling, you know, a bit sad by the sight and then just tells her, don't cry, it's all good, don't weep. But in its original Greek, there is no stronger word in the Greek language for the word sympathy than the one used here for Jesus. See, William Barclay 
theologian says, he was moved to the depths of his heart. The root word refers to what is inside, like your your heart, your liver and lungs. It's a word that basically describes the emotion as a physical effect. Jesus was genuinely heartbroken for this widow. Her pain and despair, he really felt it. What's evident here is the deep compassion of Jesus. And there's something quite significant about what the author Luke wrote, uh, about how the author Luke wrote this. Because notice in the verse, Luke writes, and when the Lord saw her, Luke makes it quite apparent to the audience, to readers, that here Jesus is identified as the Lord. The first time he has done so in his narrative. Luke saying this is God himself who is moved with compassion. See, in ancient times, this would have been quite astounding uh, to grasp because in those days one of the noblest faiths was Stoicism, um, who believed that one of the main characteristics of God was his apathy, that he was incapable of feeling. Stoics reasoned that if a person can make another feel something, you know, sad, if I can make you feel sad, happy or sorry, it means that they can influence the other person. And so just for a brief moment, by influencing another to feel something, for that brief moment, you are greater than them. And so as nobody could be greater than God, therefore nobody could influence God. Hence, God must be incapable of feeling. So for ancient audiences reading this, to hear that Jesus, the Lord, would be so moved as to physically hurt with this widow, it would have been almost incomprehensible that God would do such a thing. But I think this isn't strictly an ancient kind of reaction, but something that still happens today. Actually, maybe even happens with us. So it's no surprise for those who aren't Christian Uh, most would seem to have a pretty low view of God. Most, if they would believe there was even a God, would picture him as anything but compassionate. We hear words like vengeful, smiting, angry, judgmental, apathetic. Most see the brokenness of the world and suffering in their own lives and suffering from people close to them and will point it squarely at God as the reason for it all, which isn't totally surprising for those who don't know him because they don't know him. But to Christians, to us, to those who do know who God is, I think we can just as easily do the same, but in a more subtle, less obvious way. You know, moments where things go wrong, when we don't get what we want most, when we suffer through some of our toughest seasons, we're often tempted to think that the God who's supposed to care for his children doesn't actually care as much as we thought. We question his love for us. In our complaining and groaning, we're unsure of his empathy because we continually hurt in our affliction. We feel that maybe he's forgotten us in seasons of silence. So even as Christians, we can just as easily believe that God doesn't feel what we feel, that he doesn't understand what we're going through. I know in some of my most trialing seasons, I've felt that way. I think to myself, God, why are you so distant when I need you close now? You don't love me. You don't care for me. But what's ironic is I look back at those moments and I realise it wasn't God who was distant from me, but it was me who was distant from him. 
you know, often praying in those moments when I was at my wits end, barely being in his word, which is why, which is why this encounter we're in today is so revealing because in those trialing seasons, had I been close to him, if I were meditating in his word, I would have been reminded of passages such as ours today. I would have been assured that the Lord not only sees and hears our heartache, but he feels with a compassion deeper than we could imagine. That when God sees how sin has marred this earth, how its brokenness has brought on pain, sorrow and despair among all peoples, he is truly moved to the depths of his being. We see it here in Jesus. The Lord is full of compassion. As Michael Bruce wrote in the 18th century hymn, in every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows had a part. We can wholeheartedly trust that Jesus has a heart that is big enough for our sorrows. Right now, some of us may be going through some of the deepest hurts we've ever experienced. Some of us may have trauma that has remained with us for what seems forever. Know that the Lord Jesus understands completely. He sympathises in a way that nobody else can, perfectly. His heart is still as compassionate now as when he walked the earth. His sympathy with sufferers is still as strong today as here with the widow. Jesus hurts with you. He sees you when you weep and his heart goes out to you. So come to him. What's amazing about this encounter with the widow is that while we know we can come to him and be sure of his compassion, Jesus here didn't wait to be asked for help, like the story of the centurion just before this. But if you look here, he isn't asked or expected to tend to this widow. But beautifully, Jesus simply took action on his own initiative. Out of his great compassion for this widow, who had just lost everything possible, Jesus went to her. That's huge. What a picture of the great compassion of the Lord Jesus. And as he goes to her, we read of their interaction. In verse 14, Jesus said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. So Jesus, expressing a genuine care for the widow, tells her, do not weep. Not in a way like to suppress her emotion, but more so to gently indicate that he was about to do something. And so Jesus does, touching the buyer, which is like an open casket, which again affirms more of his compassionate description because to touch a casket of a dead person in those days would deem a person extremely unclean according to Old Testament ceremonial laws. But Jesus' mercy is emphasised as that didn't deter him. Instead, he shows a selfless love as he saw human need more important. And with the words, young man, I say to you, arise, the dead man sat up and began to speak. This has to be one of the greatest miracles read in the Gospel of Luke, right? Like Jesus raised this beloved son to life by a simple command. 
for Luke to include that the dead man sat up and began to speak is added assurance to, to readers that this wasn't some kind of trick. The man had truly been raised beyond a doubt, speaking, confirming he was truly alive, all made possible by a simple command from Jesus. What this miracle reveals is the power of Jesus. To the crowd they're watching, they would have been taken aback, completely awestruck. Here was this compassionate man who who now clearly shows that resurrection power rests in him. It's no wonder it says that fear sees the crowd. And it's not a scared fear, but an amazement and awe as to what they had just witnessed. Jesus has just shown his immense power and authority in this reversal of death. Death, the the unchanging, unwavering, inevitable guarantee in life was overcome by the words, get up from the Messiah who had truly arrived. As Alfred Plummer, a 19th century theologian says, Jesus claims as his own what death had seized as his prey. See, for the large crowd present at the funeral, it would have been quite the spectacle to witness this Jesus with so much authority that he had the power to reverse death. It's no wonder they they responded, uh, as verse 16 says, and they glorify God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and, and God has visited his people. And so the crowd likened Jesus to a great prophet when they say God has, vi- when they say God has visited his people, they aren't acknowledging that Jesus here was the Messiah that they had been waiting for because they didn't know that yet. But as Leon Morris says, the crowd recognized the hand of God in what had happened and gave praise where it was due. They knew this was a God moment and they glorified God. And interestingly, not Jesus, but the crowd did give praise to Jesus in calling him a great prophet. And I think there's great reason that Luke includes this in his telling, that they called him a great prophet, because this encounter between Jesus and the raising of the son has clear allusions to uh, the ministries of two Old Testament prophets in particular, Elijah and Elisha. So from our passage today, there are clear connections to uh, a raising of an only son as well, of the widow of Zarephath by the prophet Elijah, which is seen in the first Kings 17. There's also a connection to Elisha and his raising of the only son of the widow of Shunem in 2 Kings 4. Along with that is the exact phrasing, the words that says, and Jesus gave him to his mother in our verse 15 of our passage today, which were the exact words used in Elijah's story. See, the connections are evident and are meant to make us think about these Old Testament prophets. But I think the author Luke wants readers to, to see not so much the similarities but rather the differences. See, in contrast, in Elijah's story, Elijah stretched over a corpse three times and Elisha touched the child with the staff laid over him. Both these guys did this to raise these sons. Yet what does Jesus do? Jesus simply utters a word and they're raised. See, in Elijah's narrative, he calls on God as Lord to help him, while here Jesus himself is called Lord. In First and Second Kings, the prophets Elijah and Elisha cry out to God that he may raise these sons up with his power. In our gospel passage here in Luke, as the crowds cry out in sadness, as the crowds cry out in sadness, God's power is made known 
by his very own son. Luke wants his audience to see that this is truly the Messiah. Jesus, the Lord, God's son, is the saviour promised that they had long been waiting for. God's awesome compassion in full view as his heart breaks for the widow. God's awesome power emphasised as he shows his authority over even death. Jesus wasn't just a prophet as the crowd saw him to be. He was somebody much greater. See, this was quite the miracle that we see in our short encounter today. And it wasn't the only miracle. You know, all throughout the gospel, Jesus' many miracles were very much showings of his power as Lord over all things. You know, a lot of his miracles were often a glimpsing of great truths. What we see here today is the great fundamental truth that he has the authority to reverse death. What seemed a tragic loss from the enemy called death, Jesus turned into joyful reunion. But to the people at the town of Nain who witnessed this, they hadn't yet fully grasped the full weight of the great truth this miracle pointed to. It wouldn't be until a little later on that this crowd of people would have seen this prophet of God be trialled, beaten, mocked, crucified. They would have seen the one who had the power to raise a son to life with a mere sentence could not overcome his own death on a cross for all to see. They would have thought, how could this godly man with so much compassion, power and authority as to raise a person to life be subject to such a death? Sin is the foundation and root to which everything can be traced back. Ever since sin entered the world through the disobedience of man, death has been the fundamental obstacle all will face. The creator God, the God of life, who gave life, can have no part with sin. And so through our disobedience comes the consequence of death, but not just the physical death, but a spiritual death. See, what the early chapters of the book of Genesis reveals to us is that sin has broken the wonderful relationship once shared between God and his people, that by our sin we were cast out of the paradise that was the garden. By our sin we walk the earth that is still broken and tainted. By our sin we became dead. Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. See, there is a poignancy to life because all have sinned. The presence of sin in this world means everyone is subject to a physical death, but worse is that all sinners are subject to a spiritual death, one that goes far beyond the physical now, but into the after and eternity separated from the holy, living creator, God. That is the just punishment for all sinners, for Adam, for Eve, for the widow's son, for you, for me, death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So what this encounter between Jesus and the widow did was give us a small snapshot of the grand picture that is the compassion and power of our Lord Jesus in a poignant life, one where sin brought upon by us ravages through a broken world, bringing on grief, sorrow, despair, death. Jesus looked down and hurt with us. Jesus saw the affliction and suffering from which sin and death had caused and was genuinely heartbroken, moved to the depths of his heart. And so compassionate he is. He came down to us, into the mess, on a mission to die the death meant for sinners. Who's crucified on the cross, three days later being raised to life, overcoming death's final sting, bringing on redemption that whoever should believe in him will not have to suffer from death forever, but will have eternal life. See, in this brief encounter of the raising of the widow's son, we get a glimpse into the gracious, sacrificial compassion of our Saviour. On the cross, as he died for our sins, we see it in full. Here in Jesus raising the widow's son, displaying his great authority and power over death, it pointed to the victory he would later achieve in overcoming his own death, raised to life, walking out of the tomb. See, the gospel was essentially this, that we were like the widow's son, no life, dead in our trespasses. But only by the power of Christ did he bring life to those who are dead in their sins. Only Jesus can raise to new life those who were spiritually dead. Theologian Daryl Bock says, while this miracle reminds us of our frailty and mortality, it also shouts out, to us about God's power to raise and transform. Jesus is truly the Lord of life who came to give it by giving up his own. See, the good news is Jesus has overcome death and so have we when we put our faith in him. See, while the reality of physical death remains in a world still affected by sin, as we wait for our Lord's promised return, death is very much still a part of life and it sensibly brings on great pain, sorrow and grief when experienced. Yet Jesus has given us an assurance that death is not the end for those who know him, but rather he has given us hope that we can one day experience the same joyful reunion we read of in this encounter today. But ours an even greater one. Ours a reunion with our Heavenly Father. So J.C. Ryle says this, The Prince of Peace is stronger than the King of Terrors, and that though death, the last enemy, is mighty, he is not so mighty as the sinner's friend. Jesus claimed for life, a widow's son who'd been marked for death. And he's done the same for you and me. 
Not only is Jesus the Lord of life, but he is the Lord over death who himself triumphed over the grave and has promised us as seen in John 14, that because he lives, so shall we live also. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, see an encounter um, between your son Jesus and a woman uh, at the lowest point in her life, Lord. And a lot of us are feeling that way where we're feeling the hurt that maybe this widow's going through, the despair, the sorrow. We know that this is a world filled with that, Lord, as death remains, Heavenly Father. Lord, what a amazing joy it is to see that you, Lord, have power over death, that you have the authority and power to reverse death and that by your perfect, deep compassion, you gave us your son, Jesus, that he would die, uh, died a death meant for us as sinners, Lord, that he came down to us. We didn't need to ask for him. But out of your initiative, Lord, you sent down your son Jesus out of the depths of your heart because you love us so much. And, Lord, as we wait for you now, as we know that physical death is still here, and as we wait for your return, we wait for the time where it heads into eternity, Lord, help us in those moments of great despair and pain. How awesome it is to know that you are a a saviour, you are a God who feels what we feel, who knows the pain and despair that we go through. And you've died that pain. You've given up your life for it. But Lord, we now know, we know that you reign. You reign on high. And we wait for that time that we can be reunited, just like this mother and her son, that we can be reunited with you, Lord, uh, for eternity. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray this all in your son, Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.